How do we walk as Christians in our daily lives? The letter of James offers us practical lessons on what to say and what to do as Christians. That's why at Bellwether we're doing a series on James and we're calling it Our Walk because we want to walk by faith and we want your Christian faith to change your walk. Thank y'all, and if y'all would get your Bibles, and you can turn to James chapter three. We are uh, we're in a series uh, in James, the letter of James that we call our walk, and really there is much in James about how to do this uh, this Christian walk, uh, how to walk in faith. Paul writes about that walk in faith not by sight, and that faith in Jesus changes our walk. Uh, We've talked about uh, several things over the last uh, month or so. Talked about walking in trials, walking in temptation, walking in service, and how we use our, our tongue or our speech last week. Today we talk about something that is very important and probably doesn't Uh, get enough uh, notice or attention from us, and that's wisdom, walking in wisdom. And when I I immediately think about wisdom, uh, I go back to Solomon. And many of you have probably heard uh, the story, uh, the Bible story in Sunday school, that God would grant Solomon uh, any wish. He said, whatever you ask for, I'll give it to you. Uh, And I've thought about that in my life. If, If God gave me that gift... What would I ask for? Solomon asked for wisdom. And he used that wisdom as a, as a king. What would we ask for? Would we ask for health? Would we ask for wealth? Uh, the more I grow in this life, not necessarily uh, in the Christian life, but just in life itself, I see the need for wisdom in difficult decisions, uh, in relationships, in clarity about call and where to go, problems. And now I, I actually ask for wisdom over and over again. And it is there to be given to us in God's Word. And James talks about it. So James chapter 3, I'm going to pick up in, uh, in verse 13. And if you have the Bibles at the back of our table, this is on page uh, 1012, 1012. James 3. Verse 13, and I'll read through verse 18. James writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, Demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, 
impartial, and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now then, I, uh, I start with this topic about wisdom, and, and I have to be honest. I mean, it's not like that the most exciting of uh, topics. Uh, you know, if you want something that we think might be more relevant uh, or exciting, you know, come Wednesday night, this Wednesday night. Uh, wisdom, uh, you know, think about it more broadly. Okay, it, it's good, but, you know, when you're young, it's like, well, I, I can be wise or I can have fun, you know. And, and most of us, at least I did, I often chose fun over wisdom. And then when you, you grow up, Actually, often, often it can be, well, can I be wise or, you know, can I get what I want now? Because often wisdom uh, is about patience and, and waiting. Sometimes you may have a decision, hey, can I be wise or can I have success? Success may be staring you right in the face, but it may not be the right thing to do. So wisdom. And I'd, I'd ask this of us, why should we want it? Why should we want biblical Wisdom, And I don't want to give the Sunday school answer here. I mean, really, why should we want it? James, whether we realize it or not, tells us why we should want this wisdom. He tells us in verse 13. Verse 13 says, again, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Like, how does that say that we should want wisdom? The key there is what we don't actually see when you just read over it. Good conduct. See, the word good in this verse, in its Greek, in its original language, that word good, there were two words for it. And don't like track out on this when I say Greek. This is like really important. Good can either be agathos, where we get the word agatha or the name agatha in English. And that means what we think about good, like morally good, morally right. There's another Greek word that's called kalos, and that means beautiful, beautiful. And so conduct here literally means life. And James is writing then and to us, in this wisdom, you have a beautiful life. And see, to me, that, that changes the whole, the whole tone, changes the whole conversation about why we should want this wisdom, because I believe many of us, many of y'all, we aspire to a beautiful life. And when I say a beautiful life, or do you want a beautiful life, what would that look like in your mind? I mean, when I, when I first think about it, I think of, okay, beautiful family, you know, I want, I want my family to look, you know, in pictures, say it's a beautiful family. I think of beautiful places, you know, I joke around, you know, love to have a home in Seaside, love to have a home, Lake Tahoe, you know, pictures splashed. I mean, we, we, and we see this anytime we bring up Facebook. I mean, people are trying to put forth, you know, our beautiful life. You know, we almost most often see this in weddings. That's when we really put forth, hey, this is my beautiful life. Uh, some of y'all know I'm a movie buff. Uh, I'm not a celebrity buff, but sometimes in down moments I'll look and kind of do the whole celebrity, you know, Google. I know, I know. And so I was on vacation uh, a couple weeks ago and had nothing else to do one night. And heard George Clooney got married, okay? So, uh, I mean, not a huge fan of his movies. That's not what I'm saying. But So I Googled it and all these pictures, uh, wedding in Venice. And I, I mean, I immediately thought, I mean, like, wow, they are really trying to, you know, like out on the water, you know, and all the celebrities. 
And, and they're really trying to show, like, this, this is what a beautiful life is. You know, Venice on the water, the sun, the shades, you know, everything. You know, George Clooney, grooming. And if we're honest, because our culture elevates that, our world elevates that, and many look to that, and it doesn't have to be a movie star, it could be a rock star, it could be, a, I don't know, a writer, if that's your thing, cook, if that's your thing. And you see things like, that is, that is the beautiful life. That, that is what we aspire to. And it's often what, you know, the newspapers or the magazines or the blogs say, you know, this is, this is it. And we see that in other weddings, you know, when people get, get married. Uh, our wedding uh, wasn't like that, uh, which we will be married 10 years in a couple weeks, praise God. But uh, our wedding, it rained all day. I mean, like rained all day, poured. Uh, so much so that no pictures were outside, so no sunny pictures you know, like that. Uh, the band uh, could not set up because the wiring in the mud. Probably a good thing, honestly. The band didn't set up and play that night. But uh, I tell folks, you know, now it's a blessing that I can counsel, you know, folks who are about to get married, leading up to their, their, uh, their wedding. And I always say that. I say, man, it's going to work out. It's going to work. I mean, my mom was standing at a Chevron talking to the band when they were telling me we can't set up, you know, an hour before our wedding. Not what she wanted to do. She was also the wedding coordinator. However, the clouds broke out and the sun came down and it was, a, it was a beautiful wedding. But I tell folks who are getting married, hey, do you want a beautiful wedding ceremony? you want a beautiful marriage? And so often we put so much attention on that one day, that, that time, and I don't want to see marriages fall apart. And, and they, they often have, as, as we well know. Here... The Lord's telling us through James, you want a beautiful life, a beautiful life. A beautiful life is wisdom from above. We want a beautiful life, but it may not be what we think it is or what this world may showcase for us. A beautiful life can be, and I said this earlier, all these difficult decisions that we are or we will or we have faced, that we can make them with ease. Relationships that can be torn or possibly broken, that we can have a peace and we can have a faith that there can be reconciliation. People come to you for advice, for wisdom. They say, man, what do you what do you think about this? I got this deal, and and we can be crystal clear. And so many aren't crystal clear about. I know why God has placed me on this earth. In this time. That's wisdom. And a beautiful life, man. I believe God wants so much more for all of you. All of us. Than we can fathom. We can imagine. He wants this wonderful life. That begins and ends in Jesus. It may not be the life that we imagine. But it's so much better. And it's beautiful. That's why we should aspire to. We should want this wisdom. Wisdom from above. Biblical wisdom. Now then, what is it? You're like, okay, you kind of talked about generalities, but, but what is uh, this wisdom? What, is it, what does it look like practically for us? What is it? James tells us here. But he actually says there are two types. There are two types of wisdom. Verse 14 through 16. Let me read that again. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. He's talking about two types of wisdom, from above and from below. When I was in high school and college, I was addicted, if I can use that word, to a TV show. I'm not going to name the TV show. It won't go that far. But it was this TV show, and it uh, had two lead characters, two lead guys. And they were big, big friends, big buddies. But they were very different. And they actually represent two types of people that are all throughout life, our lives. Now, one guy was what I'm going to call the self-discovery person. You don't have to be a man. You can be a guy or a gal in this. The self-discovery person. And here's what I mean. They were like, hey, I just want the freedom to find myself. And in that freedom, I I may travel. uh, I may drop out of school. uh, But as long as I can choose to do what I want to do, and my heart tells me what's right, and so I'll listen to my heart, you know, I'll be okay whether I go through good times or bad times. And you probably know, I mean, I know, uh, people who are in this self-discovery process uh, for 10, 20 years and still, you know, trying to find themselves uh, or, you know, doing what they think is the best for them or what feels right or what feels fun. And much of our world says, hey, if it feels right, do it. Or our culture will even say, if your heart tells you so, do it. You know, Jesus says the opposite. Jesus says, out of the heart comes every vile practice. Our world will say, if your heart tells you to do it, do it. Because it's in you. You get to choose. There you go. And we could list out a lot of things, morally, ethically, relationally, that people do. Because they say, hey, I chose it. My heart said it. I was emotionally involved. And so much of this self-discovery is wisdom from below. But also, I'm going to call what I'm going to say the self-achievement person. Because on this other TV show, there was the other guy that was a self-achievement person, and he was the do-gooder. He did all the right things, uh, made all the, the right grades, got into the right school, started in the right career, was going to change the world by his record, by what he did, by the good things that he did. And you're like, man, that that sounds great. That sounds good. Well, he's living on his record. And the thing is, we see these two types in our world today, and sometimes we call them liberal and conservative. They're really the same person. Because they're really saying, hey, I'm operating on what my heart tells me to do. They're really, and so much of our life goes back to the story of the prodigal son. They're really like the younger brother and the elder brother. And so self-achievement person is here and saying, hey, I'm I'm doing the right thing. Uh, I'm I'm advancing my life. But their life is based on what they do, their record, and their heart may tell them, hey, do this good thing. And they're basing their approval their whole life on, on their record. James is clear. Both these two lead to envy. Because you're on one side or the other. I mean, self-discovery guys saying, well, look at him because him or her is getting to travel and have more fun and I don't know, do more art or do you know, more things in his life than I am. Over here is like, well, you know, this guy's doing more and accomplishing more and achieving more. Envy, jealousy, selfish ambition. And the other thing is, we put these two things in our religious life, too. 
The self-discovery type says, hey, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm continuing to discern this Christianity and, you know, whatever, you know, is in my heart, you know, I'm kind of feeling it through it. I understand that. I understand that. But we, we put that in our religious life. We don't have as much of that down here, honestly, in the Bible. We have more of the self-achievement in our religious life. And so what we do, the good things, and it can all even be, you know, reading my Bible, going to group, going on a mission trip, that being our religious record is what we wear in our sleeves, what we base our life on. Let me tell you what this is like. And it hit me on the week I was uh, away at the beach. And one day it rained, so I was a little bummed out. Uh, but we decided to go to this, like, I don't know, theme park type deal, you know. Disneyland is like, you know, a thousand of these together. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm not kind of dreading that day. But anyway, so into this theme park, it had go-karts, which unfortunately were, were out of commissions. We didn't do that. Uh, but it had putt-putt golf, so we did that. And, uh, and then it had an arcade room, okay, arcade room. And so Jack and Logan and Ethan, who's 20 months, are, you know, just like, you know, blitzing the place. And, you know, I'd never been in an arcade, well, in a long time, but... Now they have like whole walls that are, you know, it's like a motorcycle ride. And Ethan's up on it, you know, like, you know, going around. And now what I go to, because I mean, I want to play some games too. I do a beeline in the back corner for a Miss Pac-Man. Old school, <laughs> old school, you know, arcade game. I was like, Jack, man, you got to play this. Like, Dad, come on. I want to hit the, you know, the motorcycle and the big Uzi, you know, across, you know, the big pig, you know, all this stuff. Just jacked up and everything. I'm like, Miss Pac-Man, you know, just here in the back corner. I, I, I think it was a relic, you know. It was a relic. But, so I had a token. You know, it used to be a quarter, but they did tokens. You know, put it in, you know, play around, get eaten up. You know, do it again, play around, get eaten up. You know, get my three lives, you know, game over. Okay, so whoop-de-doo. Now, so often, our Christian lives are like that Miss Pac-Man game. You're like, what are you talking about? Here's how we roll. Quarter, token, we do our good, good deed. Read our Bible, go to group, do a kind act. All right, man, we're ready to play. We can play this deal. Then we, we get eaten up in life. You ever been eaten up in life? You know, I hear that say, man, I'm just eating up. Put in another good deed. Here we go, put in another good deed. We can play for a little while, get eaten up. Put another, another good deed. Go to church. Hey, man, I'm going to you know, do good this week. It's over, it's over, over again, and get worn out, get burned out. And so many of us, so many of you, think that that's what Christianity is all about. Just do my thing, I can play, eating up. Do my thing, play, eating up. It's not the gospel. It's religious activity. James, though, even goes further and says both of those are not, are not, Wisdom from above, but it's wisdom from below. Trying to save ourselves, trying to do as much as we can to live on our own record. What is the wisdom from above? He totally spells it out. Verse 17, the wisdom from above is pure, first pure. And you know, I I found it interesting that they list pure first. And I believe, now this is not anything that is... You know, in the Bible, these are my words, and I didn't even read this from commentary. So I think it's pure because it's not about us. It doesn't include selfish ambition. That's just my two cents. 
Wisdom from above is pure. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Wisdom from above. The last question I'd ask of us is, well, how do we get this wisdom? Sounds great. Would love to have it. How do we get it? How can we stop basing our lives either on our self-discovery, younger brothers that we are, or our self-achievement, elder brothers that we are? How can we get this? James tells us that too. You just got to look deep. He says it's from above. Which that means we can't get to it. It's got to come down to us. And it has in a person, Jesus If you'll flip to John chapter 1, John 1, I want to read a couple verses. If you're in our Bible, it's page 886, but John chapter 1, five verses, which spells this out precisely, the wisdom from above. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Skip to verse 14. I'm going to skip there. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Here's what's important to know. Well there's much. That's important to know in that. But word, like word up, word here in John literally means, in its original, divine wisdom. Divine wisdom. And John tells us that this divine wisdom is in a person, Jesus. The world was created through him. Without him, nothing would exist. And yet, this divine wisdom in Jesus has come down to us. It says, become flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. You see, the wisdom from above, we can't get to. And so what Jesus has done is he comes down to us so that we, you, can have this relationship with God, can attain the wisdom that we can't, find or discover or achieve on our own or even in our own hearts. But it came to us in Jesus. And the crucial step is to believe and then trust and give your life to Him. Because He came to us not simply to teach, but to die and to give life. Because without Him, we do not have life. We will not have life. Life for eternity. Now, what does this look like? You're like, okay, you may have heard that in Sunday school. You may have heard me preach this. What what does it look like? And something hit me back to the time I was at the beach. You know, the beach just gives you all this clarity. You know, just just love it. Anyway, so I was at the beach. Last day there. Last day there. Clouds broke yet again. Spectacular day. I was, you know, on the beach that afternoon. Had my book. Had my, you know, version of a Diet Coke. Something similar to like that. It's okay. It's okay. I, you know, whatever, you know, elder brother, you know, older brother. Anyway, had my drink. 
had my drink, and was ready for this spectacular sunset that I knew was coming, man. I was just chilling, just ready for it. And then Jack comes up, and Logan, and Logan, and they say, Daddy, it's our last day. We're going to go play putt-putt golf. And because we'd been, you know, before. And I was like, you know, dudes, you know, I mean, man, don't you, don't you want to have fun, you know, in, 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 the, in the water and swim? We're play golf, Dad. And I was like, man, it's, uh, I mean, don't you want to build this awesome sandcastle? We're going to play golf, Dad. And then Logan, I was like, Logan, help me out, you know. And he, I mean, he, he struggles to speak. Logan, help me out. Golf, you know. Logan, golf. <laughs> golf, Dad. Daddy, golf. So like, here it is, you know. What do I do? Well, you know what I did. So, you know, they needed me uh, to drive them to the, the fun place, the fun park. They needed it. I had, I had to take them. So, like, all right, let's go. So, we drove 40 minutes, 15 miles, 40 minutes, you know, Friday afternoon traffic. And, you know, we get there. And if you know my kids, you know, Jack is seven. He's played a little golf. But I start explaining to him. He doesn't know, like, you know, literally, Jack, I mean, you're first, you know, playing uh, the course, but I'm going to beat you, Daddy, and I'm going to beat you, Jack. But you're playing the course is what's going on here. And then Logan, I mean, I have to literally help him, you know, I mean, with his, with his shots. I mean, he's just like, you know, just all, all, I mean, I have to, you know, guide him. And I have to teach him, like, you know, you want the ball to go in the hole, this would be a good, good shot, Jack. And the joy in their faces uh, when the ball would, you know, go down the hole, and it was like a mountain course, actually pretty cool, and the ball would, like, drop somewhere else. And you know, the joy in their faces, uh, you know, was worth so much to me. But they, they needed, they couldn't do this, not just the drive there. I mean, God could have, like, plopped them down. And Jack, you know, he still have been just, like, hitting stuff. And Logan would have been probably in a pond somewhere in there. And, uh, but they needed me, you know, one, to begin to explain the game to Jack. And for Logan to, you know, hit his balls. And just, they had a great time. We had a great time. And so we're driving back, and it's about 6.37, and the sun is setting. And, you know, as we're heading back, I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and there is just a spectacular sunset. I mean, the sky is just lit up in red, and, you know, I'm seeing it behind. And, of course, I thought, you know, man, I could be chilling on the beach right now. You know, the umbrella and chair are already gone, so I'm just sitting, like, in the water. In the water, I do that. So I don't know if y'all are just sitting you know, the feet in the water, just looking at it. We could get a great family shot right now. And I'm driving back. But I would not have traded that time for nothing. Uh, to see the joy on my boys' faces. Uh, to begin talking to Jack about the game, which I love games and love sports. And see him start grasping, oh, you've got to play the course. Yeah, you play the course. You can beat the course, you know, pars and so forth. And just driving back, I see the beauty of his life. But I, I got to have such, something so much more beautiful. Like, this is, this is the gospel. And I believe the gospel is seen all throughout life. You're like, well, how is that the gospel? God's word. God's word tells us for hundreds of years, people cried out to God to send a savior. They cried out to God. God, we need, we need a savior. And then the savior came to us. The word came to us. Divine wisdom in a person. Jesus came to us. And Jesus spent his time then and now by the power of the Holy Spirit teaching us about how to go through this life. You're like, how do you teach? Well, teaching us that 
believe in me. Trust in me. Come to me, all you are weary, and I will give you rest. Lean on Jesus. Because we can't do this course of life without Him. And if we try to do it our own, we will mess it up, but we can rely on Him. And see, the thing that you may not know, but I believe, is that not only did He leave the glory, the grandeur, the beauty of heaven to come to us, but then He has no regrets. I don't think Jesus would trade His time and His sacrifice for nothing because it saves us and it gives us life. And by trusting in Him and His wisdom, we can make wise choices. We can do this course that is our life, that is our time on this earth, in this world, right now, by leaning on Him. And He would say, and I, I would I will not trade anything for saving this life, for saving you, for doing what he had to do on the cross, giving his life, dying for you. It is personal. And then being raised to life. Do you have this wisdom? I mean, do you have this wisdom, knowing that he has come for you, knowing that he gives life when we believe, when we trust in him? By leaning on Him, literally leaning, letting Him do your life. Take your shots. Go through this course. Do you let Him? Or is it still about your self-achievement or self-discovery? And when we do, we will have, we will have the wisdom that is from above. Yet there's one more thing, this is the last thing I'll say. It's not only for this life, it is for the life to come. And this is key. And this is the same wisdom from above. Because the wisdom that comes from above in a person, he is coming again. And you know, unfortunately, and I will say, I will take blame for this. You know, I don't mention this probably as much as I should. He is coming again. One of the last verses in Revelation says, I come quickly. Or another translation, I am coming soon. And wisdom from above is knowing that, believing that, and do we act in this course of life? Thinking like, you know, I need need my heart to be right. I need to be right with God. I need to be basing my life on Jesus because He's coming again. He will come again. And I love to joke around. I especially love to joke around about sports, but I am really serious about heaven and hell And Jesus left the glory and beauty of heaven. And you may be thinking, hey, man, man, I I know what heaven is, and it's like the last two weeks in Mississippi. It's better. It's better. He came once. He's coming again. And wisdom from above is trusting him in him for this life and for the life to come. Do you have this wisdom? You can have it today in a moment if you have it. You can do something even more. You can say, you know, I got it, but why would we not give our lives completely? I mean, completely to Him. That is not earthly wisdom, let me warn you. It is not earthly wisdom. But many of us are walking in earthly wisdom. But to give our lives completely to Him is wisdom from above. It is a beautiful life. It is what God wants for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wisdom that 
came to us in a person, speaks to us through the power of your Holy Spirit, and will come again. I pray for me and my family and our Bellwether family that we would have this wisdom in a person to trust and rely on him and to believe that he is coming again and to live our lives in accordance with that. That we're thinking about, man, I want to I want to get closer to God. I want to lean on Him more. He has saved me. He has a beautiful life in store for me. And we really, really give our lives to Him. I pray that happens in miraculous, spectacular, wonderful ways in the life of this church, of people and families. It's not earthly wisdom, but it is, it is wisdom. And it's beautiful, and it's glorious, and it's forever. Thank you for it. May all of us receive it. In your name, amen.